Good morning. You had me water already, thank you. It's good to be with you once again. Um, I am going to start by beginning my sermon by saying I have a head cold. You're not, no, don't go, aw, okay. It might actually help you be able to understand me because some of the accent disappears and it's all, it just sounds congested after a while. So Pastor Eric almost got a call last night, but we soldiered through. Us Irish men are hard. We're a tight breed. Um, I would like to say that your touch football this afternoon, please go, be good, but it's not really a sport. <laughs> and if I get lynched right now, that's fine, I don't mind. If you want to play a real sport, play rugby, that's it, say no more. Yeah, I have a few followers now, it's great, it's awesome. This being Thanksgiving week, I thought it would be appropriate to begin with what I'm thankful for. As an Irishman coming to a far-off field, the west side of America to California, to a land that is, as Irish people call it, full of fruit and nuts, which parts are, but Roosevelt's not, so good job. This past two years, it's been my privilege to come here the odd time and preach. And I have become very, very, very fond of this group of believers here. Some of you I know really well. Some of you I have no idea what your name is. That's not your fault. It's probably mine. I keep telling you I'm really bad with names, so forgive me if I forget it. But one thing I'm really thankful for is that no matter if I step out of IBC, which is my church, and come here, that God's name is still magnified and glorified. This book here is not put to one side. This pulpit is not off to one side. It's encouraging to see a band of believers somewhere else doing the same things that we do. Only half an hour down the road. Can I encourage you? Keep doing it. Keep pursuing on. Keep fighting the good fight. And I'm also thankful for two pastors of this church, Pastor Eric, who very kindly keeps asking me to come back. For what reason? I have no idea. I think he just wants to have some time off. <laughs> he was in that room in there stretching and lumbering up for the football later on, so be ready, kiddos. So I'm thankful for him. And then I'm thankful to that man there, Pastor Jeff. I came home from Ireland about two months ago, and it was a hard trip, not because I didn't have fun, not because I didn't eat way too much, which I did, way too much, but when I got home, something hit. It's called homesickness. It's awful. You get depressed. You get miserable. You don't really miss the country because it rains and it's wet and miserable, but you miss the people, and I did. I missed my parents. But your brother was faithful to text long passages of Scripture. When that ding goes off and I see his name, I go make a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, they were long. Whew, my memory bank almost disappeared, my phone, but it was good. But can I encourage each and every one of you to do what he does? In a week that we're thankful and we've eaten an awful amount of food. And then Friday morning we woke up and boom, we hit Black Friday and we spent all our money. And the highlight of things, what's it all for? Can I encourage you as church members to encourage one another, to build one another up, and to be thankful for one another. Not thankful for your stuff, thankful for your new 65-inch TV, which is in my Amazon basket, and if my wife sees it, I'm in trouble. And I can say it because she's not here, <laughs> although if she listens after, then <laughs> I'm in trouble. But be thankful for one another. 
This is the best day of the week. It should be your favorite day of the week. You children should not look at it as a day off. Here we go again. It should be a day of delights. We used to have the saying in Ireland, it's a day of do's, not a day of don'ts. We do get to go worship God. We do get to be with God's people. We do get to fellowship with one another. And as an outsider, I know that you guys love and care for one another because you care for me when I walk in. But harvest it, grow it, and encourage one another. It's coming up to Christmas time. You know, pop in for a coffee. Say hello to everyone. Be with everyone. So with that all being said, we'll get to what we're here for, preaching. It is my privilege to open up God's Word. Does anyone know where I preached last time? It's dead easy. No, wow, that must have been such a sermon. <laughs> wow, I might as well close this folder and go home now. Wow. Woo. No. It doesn't take a rocket science to work it out. What chapter are we in right now? Oh, where we were last time? Daniel 1. Yep. It's my aim as I come here to preach. So it'll only be for another four times because I'm not going past Daniel 6. But it's my aim to go through this book of Daniel and to encourage you as a congregation here. I'm not the best preacher in the world, but I do like to encourage people. So it's my aim this morning to do that. We are going to do the whole of Daniel chapter 2. So our brother copped out at verse 6 and I have to read the rest. It's okay. It's fine. This makes, means your uh, football might be a little bit late, but that's all right. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter 2, and we'll pick up there at verse 7. Daniel 2 verse 7, and it says this, They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time changes. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldean answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied without, sorry, Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's card, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, "Why is the decree of the king so urgent?" Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, 
for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Ariok, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Ariok brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in your bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what it is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I might have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty of, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the, all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be divided. It shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it. Just as, you saw, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does, does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed." nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an, off that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is, go is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and gave him rule over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. 
Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Amen. This is God's word. Let's turn to him in a moment of prayer. Our great and glorious Heavenly Father, as we still our hearts and our minds before you now, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is true. And we come this morning and as we open up this passage of Daniel 2, we do pray that you would encourage our hearts, help us to be more like Daniel and less like what we are today. Help us to have courage, help us to have faith. Help us to be, as we will see, a praying people in these days. Dear Lord, we ask these things in and through Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as you so gladly knew that I preached from Daniel chapter 1 last time, perhaps it would be good to have a little recap. We should really do 20 questions. When he ever gets one right, gets another donut, but we won't do that. We did begin a few months ago, beginning to look at the life of Daniel. How this young man found himself living far away from his homeland. He was far away from his family, but he was never far away from God. We saw how Daniel took a stand against that food in that, that big hall, and how God blessed him, how God protected him, and how God made him to look even more handsome and fuller than everyone else by simple vegetables. Man, if it was only good for these days too. We saw how that wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to change everything about them. He wanted to change how they dressed. He wanted to change how they thought. He even wanted to change their very diet. So if chapter 1 reveals that powerful single-mindedness of Babylon and how they wanted to squeeze everybody into their mold, the second chapter surely displays its impotence. Certainly, there's no rebellion. There's no internal strife. There's no new enemy marching up against its walls. Nebuchadnezzar was very much in control as he ever was. His nation was being prospered. It was growing. If we were able to walk in, we'd see that the land was full. People were doing the same thing and looking the same thing and acting the same way and even eating the same food. But what that visitor wouldn't see was that Nebuchadnezzar now was in a state of torment. He was in a state of torment because of a dream. Now, we all have dreams, and our dreams are perhaps more fancies than dreams or anything else. Sometimes we'll awake in the morning and turn to our wife and go, wow, I had a really good dream last night. And she go, what was it? I don't know. Maybe that's just getting old. No, it's not. The old hymn writer Isaac Watts writes in his hymn, Our God, our help in ages past, he writes these lines, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening day. When we open our eyes in the morning, our dreams, as it were, simply just fly away. It's as if they'd never really happened. But one dream refused to die in Babylon. One dream refused to go away. And that one dream almost wiped out all the intellectual people in all of Babylon. It shook up everyone and everything. This morning, as we open up Daniel chapter 2, we've got three easy points. So you children, over lunchtime, even you adults over lunchtime too, will be able to understand them. We're going to look at it as what Nebuchadnezzar saw, what Daniel saw, and then what we should see today. So Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, then us. Well, what did Nebuchadnezzar see? The first 13 chapters of Daniel chapter 2, and I brought my huge, humongous Bible with me, so excuse me if I look like this the odd time. The first 13 verses here of this chapter, we have Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The first couple of verses tell us that this king is in trouble. His spirit is in turmoil. Sleep has left him, and as we as the Irish would say, he's at his wit's end. 
He doesn't know what to do. He's freaking out. Why is this? Why? Well, because when he went to his bed, perhaps he thought, wow, what a great kingdom I have. So nice. And he thought, well, what about my reign? What's going to happen? What does the future hold? Verse 2 says, As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. Sometimes we, before we go to bed, will be thinking about things. And when we close our eyes, sometimes those thoughts turn into a dream or into a nightmare, whatever you're thinking before you go to bed. But you see, the dream that was given here was no ordinary dream. This dream was given by God. It was sent by God. It was sent with such vividness, such clarity, that it made this king, who was over everything, terror-stricken. Now imagine it. You are over everything. You rule everything. You rule everybody in this room. And a dream, a simple dream, makes you scared to your wit's end. Often we will have nightmares. Sometimes I let my kids watch things that perhaps I shouldn't. Because at 3 a.m. in the morning, I realized, yeah, that wasn't such a clever idea. When I have a gingerhead girl with hair out to here squealing beside my bed, it's not very good. The sleep that Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed is gone. This man is lying in his royal bed, shook to his very core. He wanted all these young men who he had been training in chapter 1 to come in and tell him, tell him what was happening. He called for the magicians, the astrologers, the, the sorcerers, the soothsayers. He called anyone and anything he thought that could help him tell what this dream was. He had this dream running through his mind over and over again, and it would not go away. And so from verse 4, we read of these people who thought they were something, clamber and push their way to the front to tell the king what it was. But they got a very shocking reply. He told them that if they didn't tell the dream and what it meant, that they would be torn limb from limb. Not a pleasant thought. This morning I was almost going to go up to Eric and say, Eric, I had a dream last night. If you don't tell me what it means, I'm going to rip you limb from limb. <laughs> it wouldn't be very loving to our brother. Because he wouldn't know, and I wouldn't rip him apart anyway, but that's beside the point. I'd give him a cuddle and tell him I loved him, and that was it. But as we see these people who, you know, if you said, oh, magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and soothslayers are coming, they'd think, oh, well, someone's got to be able to tell it out of that grip. What a grip of people. Nope, not one of them. We also see something typical of the rulers in those days, how extravagant how extravagant they told them. It says in verse 6, But if you show the dream in its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream in its interpretation. So on the one hand, you're either going to be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, so your arms and legs and all are going to be... Or on the other hand, you're going to be given a lot of stuff and rule, and you're going to be able to tell people what to do. But the dream wasn't the only thing that the king saw. He also saw these wise men, as it were, clambering for time. Verse 7 tells us that man, they, they were sweating buckets. They were, they were in trouble. They were, as it were, goading the king for any small crumb of information that they could get to help them. And they addressed the king the first time with pride. Oh, tell us the dream, king. We've got this covered. Next time they come with their heads down, can you give us like a little bit of information? Can you give us anything? The king's response the second time was nothing but blunt. Tell me the dream, or what I've told you the first time will come to pass. You can only imagine these men as they looked at each other and demand they did not have a clue what to say to one another. With a stammering tongue, they say in verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. At this point, 
the king loses it. He completely goes off on one. He's in a rage. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious. And you don't want to mess with a king. You don't want to be the one saying, we can't do it. And actually, we don't think there's anyone else can do it. There's no man here in this land is able to tell you what this dream was. And the king loses it. The rag's gone, and it tips him over the edge, and he's furious. This must have been a fearful thing for those people to see. The most powerful man in all of the world had absolutely no patience. He had no patience with them actually saying, look, we can't do this, and saying, it's above us. They had confessed with their mouths that they couldn't do what they were supposed to. They weren't up to the challenge at all. They'd made so many profound claims beforehand, but now the king, as it were, could see right through them. They commanded. The command went out, and the people were to be killed. And remember, amongst all of these people is Daniel and his three friends. He's in this group. He's one of them. They weren't astrologers. They weren't soothsayers as alike. But these four young men, remember, had been educated in the way of Babylon as well. And if this decree that went out spelled the end for all these magicians and everything else, spelled the end for Daniel. Sometimes as preachers, we ask you to, as it were, put on your imagination goggles. You don't know the rest of Daniel chapter 2. You don't know Daniel 3 or Daniel 4, the rest of the book of Daniel. And you're standing right there and you hear of this decree. The people who you perhaps hung about with and would have known made the king so angry that them and you as Daniel and the three friends, your time's up. You're gone. But as Nebuchadnezzar was angry and mad, what about Daniel? Secondly, what did Daniel see? From verse 14 to the end of the chapter, we can, uh, we can answer this question as, how on earth would they ever survive this? The king, ripping. Daniel is one of them. How is he going to survive? We read of Daniel having a word with that officer that had come to kill him. He's probably got his big hatchet already. And he's, if you ever watch the old Robin Hood, not the new one, there's the guy ready to take your head off. This guy comes to the door. And we can very quickly skim over these things and not actually pay attention to the passage. But put yourself right there. This man is standing at your door, ready to cut you limb from limb. What would you do? I'd be out the back door. I'd be gone. See you. Try and catch me. Probably would eventually. But Daniel had such courage and such strength that only came from one place, and that was God. Not only did he stop and say to the man, yo, hang on a minute, don't just, don't just chop me up just yet. Could you give me a little bit of time? He also went to Nebuchadnezzar as well later on. What on earth was Daniel thinking at this point? He must have been mad. He wants to hold a meeting with the very man who wants to cut him to bits. He wants to go where that man is still probably red in his face. You know that vein in the side of your head? It's probably throbbing right now. Yeah, we've all been there. But that was part of the plan. The very thing that Nebuchadnezzar was furious with the magicians and the soothsayers for doing, Daniel was granted. Don't miss that point. These men asked for time. Time was not granted. Daniel asked for time. More time was given. That's only of God. 
You see, these men went into the king by themselves, and they were they had the agenda, and Daniel was being led by God, the God of all kings, the God of all rulers. Daniel was in the hands of the Lord. Just as he was probably a year, year and a half before, in that dining hall, not eating that food, he was with God. God is now with Daniel once more. Daniel is granted time to go away and to do something that we this morning, as we'll find out later on, should do. Pray. Four men in a private house somewhere went away and prayed, not that they would become great interpreters of dreams or the like, but that God would show mercy, that they would not perish like the other men. They sought the very throne room of heaven. That night, or perhaps a few nights later, we read that Daniel had these secret things shown to him. His first reaction wasn't to get on Facebook and put it out there. Sorry if you're really into social media. I'm about to really rip it apart. He didn't go on to Twitter and put a tweet out. He didn't want the whole world to know what he did do was he got on his knees and he praised God once more. God had given him clear understanding of the dream and its interpretation. But he had been given an even clearer view of the being and the very attributes of God. Look at verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. God is a gracious God. God is a God who is wise. He's a God who is mighty. This is the God who today has the very world in the palm of his hand. And not just the world, but everything in the whole universe. He is the one who controls seasons. He is the one who controls history and time. It's not nature itself. It's not idols. It's God. He's not only power in heaven, but He is power on earth. And as quickly as He can raise up a king, He can bring them down once more. Daniel had been given wisdom. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. If a man has wisdom, it's because God has revealed it to him. Because it's from God whom all wisdom flows. We here have a glimpse of the heart of a godly man. We see here the very heart of Daniel. If we were given what Daniel had been given, what would we have done? Would we have praised our great and glorious God? Or would we have run straight to Nebuchadnezzar palace door and sought recognition? Are we pleasing God? Or are we pleasing ourselves? As we come to worship God here today, do you do it out of a duty? Do you do it out of, that's what I do on a Sunday? Or do you do it because you want to be with God's people, praising and worshiping the one true and living God? Where does your heart lie? Does it lie with yourself? Or does it lie with God? Daniel saw who God was, but he also saw the vision and the dream itself. From verse 24 to 45, it's quite the tongue twister of the verses. I slept up quite a bit. It's like, oh, 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 it's hard. We read of the dream and its interpretation. And as with royalty in those days, once the interpretation had been given, there was a procedure. Okay? 
There was a procedure recently in the UK, where I'm from, we had another royal baby. And the procedure is when the lady goes into labor that there's a huge golden, I don't know, what I call it here? Easel. That's the word I'm looking for. Easel. And these guards come marching out with all their pomp and ceremony. And you know, oh, she's gone into labor. That's it. That's all you know. And then you see the dad drive up and all the rest. And the crowds will gather like that. You're like, what in the world? Where do they all come from? But they gather. And the news vans will rush up and there'll be cameras everywhere. And Buckingham Palace is just a huge pomp and ceremony. This baby's on its way. Okay, and then the next thing, out pops the little one, and then there's a sign placed on the board. Tells you the weight and the length. Sometimes they're kind and they give you the name. Not always. It's like, darn, come on, really? So is the very same here, no doubt. Verse 25 sort of mentions it in more detail. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. He doesn't even wait for any blowing of trumpets or anything else. Boom, he gets him in there. He's quite a selfish man. He goes, look, I found him. Huh? It was me. Pick me. I'm the great guy. Can I get some of this reward that everyone else is to get? And Ariok takes the credit for having discovered this young man. And verse 26, you're probably thinking, oh, here we go again. Here we go. More nonsense from another young man who thinks he knows it all. Then the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Okay, this man is at the end of his teller. He's done. He's had all these people that he's pumped time and energy into. He's had them come in and they've went, give us more time, and he's no, sorry, your time's up. Daniel gets a little bit longer and he walks in and there's all this, you know, whoa, we find a guy. And the king's probably sitting there with his hand up to his face going, this better happen this time or there's going to be serious words. But Daniel was no ordinary man. He was sent by God himself. Verse 27 and 28 tells us that. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be. It's God. When we hear those words, our ears should be pricked. Our hearts should get excited. Why? Because it's all of God. Everything that happens is all of Him. And He is the one. He is the one. Not Daniel. As wise as probably Daniel was. It was God who revealed these things to him. This morning as you sit here, it's not because of Eric. It's not because of Pastor Jeff. It's not because of any of the other pastors or deacons or your worship leaders or even me. It's all because of God. That is why this church here exists, to glorify God. Daniel then begins to speak in more detail to the king about these things. He says to the king that when he went to his bed thinking about the future, that God had given him a dream. And here we come to the climax of this chapter. Here lies Daniel's life. The king is either going to like what he hears, or he's going to have that guy with the big axe sharpen it one more time. And Daniel didn't fear. He didn't tremble. He didn't run away. No, Daniel stood up. Daniel knew that the next few words out of his mouth would either save his life or he would lose it. Remember, 
Daniel doesn't know Daniel after chapter 3 after. He's standing there in pure faith. Put yourself there. You're standing before a king who's ready to rip you apart. And the next words out of your mouth are either going to have your arms ripped off or you're going to be blessed. My knees would be knocking so hard together right now. My hands would be like, I don't even know if I can get the words out. Daniel took a deep breath and in faith, in faith he began to tell the king what he had saw. The king and his dream. And he saw that statue. And it was immense. And it was composed of many different materials. Gold and silver and bronze. And iron and clay. But as that statue stood tall. Something weird and mysterious came into the dream. This little stone just appeared. Started coming towards that statue. Think of it if you're on the road and it happened to me. You're driving down the road and the next thing, pew! You look at your window and you go, oh, not again. And there's the window smashed one more time. And that stone came out of nowhere. And as it smashes the car window, so it smashed into the feet of that statue and it began to crumble. It was reduced to powder, dust, and the wind blew it away. And there was no sign that it was even there. Daniel then proceeds to tell exactly what the meaning was. At this point, you can only imagine what's going through the king's mind. Okay, I haven't spoken this to anyone. No one knows. And this young fella standing before me is able to tell me exactly what it was. Wow. But then comes reality for the king. And it's not a good one. And it took courage. And it took faith for Daniel to say the next few words. That the head is you, O king. You at this time are powerful. You're head over everything. But there will come a time when someone's going to overcome you. Wow. I don't know what I would have done at that point. I might have kept that part to myself. Not Daniel. Daniel is more faithful to God than he's faithful to men. He told the king with brute honesty, Hey, you're the head, but there's someone coming after you who's going to crumble your head. And then there's someone after that and someone after that. And then comes what if this little stone? What about it? These days, the king of, the, of, of God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to another people that shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms, and it shall stand forevermore. And as much as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver and gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So there we have it. We've had the dream. The king has heard the meaning of that dream. And Daniel, who is standing before that king with God all around him, takes a step back and then we wonder that second must have felt like an eternity Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and starts and begins to worship Daniel but that split second from Daniel finishing and saying that the dream was sure and its interpretation was right must have felt like a long time. But he still stood there. And he stood firm. And that m the most mightiest man in all of the world fell flat on his face. And he, paged and he paid homage to Daniel. He wanted to make an offering to Daniel. And to his God. Some have misunderstood these verses. And I'm not going to be misunderstood either. Because I'm going to skip over them and leave them. 
But now Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all promoted. Daniel became ruler over the whole province. This remnant was not only safe. Chapter 1, they remain safe. End of chapter 2, they now are influential. Everything was stacked against them in chapter 1. And God and His faithfulness helped them when all they had was vegetables. He helped them to look more healthier than all the other people. He helped them to go to that house and to pray to Him. And He helped them to stand before that king and be faithful. But that's Daniel. What about us? What about us here this morning? What about you? What about me? Some people like to take this chapter and really delve into this dream and the vision and the statue and all the rest. I'm not much of a preacher, so I'm going to stay well away from it. But look at verse 18. In verse 18, for me, personally, Merv Campbell, not anyone else, so don't feel you have to agree with me here, but for me, verse 18 is the most critical verse in the whole of the passage of Daniel chapter 2. Why? Daniel, in his time of great need, turned to the one thing that he knew would bring him what he needed. When that king made that decree, if you cannot tell me the dream, you're for it. Daniel didn't grab the nearest camel and head for the high hill. No. He went to his friends and he said, Look, lads, things are bad. We need help. Get your phones out. And they turned on Facebook. And they wrote this big, long note. Can someone help me? They went on Twitter and they hashtag send help. Hashtag going to be ripped apart. They went on Instagram and they took a picture of the meal that they were about to eat and said, last meal. Absolutely not. These men got on their knees and they sought the ruler of this world. The one who gives the dreams and the one who gives the interpretation. Now listen. I have a Facebook account, a Twitter account, an Instagram account, so I'm not bashing it in any way. But the days that we live in, the days that we live in, we are so prone when trials come to pick up that device rather than get on our knees. Turn back to chapter 1. And verse 17. Some people debate that the Bible is an old book for fuddy-duddies. Half it's not even real. I want you to see that God's word is true. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Don't miss things in the Bible, folks. Daniel had been given something that these other three hadn't. Yet all four of them got on their knees and they sought God. They asked God for help. This morning I ask you, in your life, if you had a moment like Daniel had, what would you do? Perhaps some sitting here this morning fear the future. You're just like Nebuchadnezzar. You go to your bed at night and you think, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the day after? What's going to happen in a week, a month, a year? What in the world is happening in California? It's getting more wicked by the day. The taxes are awful. The men running the place seems like they haven't got a clue. And yes, you'd be right. But who's still on the throne? The God that Daniel turned to in his moment 
is the same God that you can turn to this very morning. Some here this morning are torn and battered with pains and aches. Your bodies are falling apart. And you feel like, as it were, throwing in the towel. Can I urge you to stop and pray? God might not take away your pains and your aches. He might not take away a broken heart that you might be having. But He will give you the very grace that you need to carry through to the last day. Some of you sitting here this morning have just become parents. Over there. It's like a cool row. It's just like foam right there. Some of you have become parents and are parents of older children. And you long to see your children come to Christ. You worry about where they're growing up. What friends they have. What influences are upon their life. And listen, I'm right there with you. I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-month-old. And I worry for my children. And I have fear sometimes. I fear for my kids. And then at times I have to stop and think, why? Why do I fear? I fear because somehow I think it's something to do with me. It's something I've got to do. It's all of God. It's nothing to do with me. We have to pray to God that He would save our young people. We have to pray to God that the influences that they have would be good and wholesome. Yes, I'm not saying, look, let your children run wild. That's not what I'm saying. My three are not going to run wild, trust me. But what I am saying is at times we can become so wrapped up in fear and trembling about our kids and, and everything about them. Get on your knees and pray to God for them. You older people, your kids are up and gone. Pray for some of these young kids here. Do you even know them? Do you know their name? Or are they just a pain? As I get older, and I have to be careful because people will listen to this, but as I get older, sometimes other people's kids annoy me. I'm being brutally honest. My three angels couldn't do anything wrong. Other people's kids drive me clean up the walls. Shouldn't be the case. We should be that fun person that those kids like to come and hang out with. Not that old, grumpy old person who just gurns and complains at them. Stop running. Stop doing this. Get on your hands and knees and after you've prayed, wrestle with them. Okay? Not WWE style over all these seats, but give them a good scratch on top of the head. I always tell the story of my seven-year-old son. Some of you have met him. Some of you won't even know what he looks like because he's a scared little boy. He likes to stick his head right in my thigh which is in a strange place. He gets that from me because I'm shy too. But, yeah, right. <laughs> Stop you laughing. But he, when he first came to America, was scared. Okay, we come from a church of 30 people. Walking into IBC with 300 even I was intimidated. And every Sunday, he'd put the head down and he wouldn't look at anybody. Not a person. And there was one old faithful man, won't mention his name, but one faithful man would come up every single Sunday and stick his hand out and say, Good morning, Hoban. Nothing. He got whipped in the butt, okay? But it didn't work. Every Sunday, no, wouldn't even look at him. You're like, what's the point in even doing that? But about a year and a half later, I was doing ushering outside the door, and I looked in. There's a glass window, and I looked in, and I almost fainted. He went up to the old man, shook his hand, and said good morning. 
You older people know these young people. Do you know that when you're dead and buried, because it's going to happen sooner rather than later for some, that this is the next generation to come up in through this church. And if all they know is that the old people are really, eh, do you think they're going to want to hang around? No way. Out the door. Okay? Pray for your young people. Pray for their parents. Young people, you aren't easy to look after. Believe you me. That's why I began this message by exhorting you to be thankful for one another, to encourage one another. Do you know that we're all in this race together? Not that we hold hands and we, you know, get along because some people are back here and some people are up there, but we're all in it together. When someone is low, someone is high. That high person should be praying for the low person and vice versa. Love one another, care for one another, and pray for one another. God is on the throne. He is the one who will bring about what we need. But we need to pray that we'd be willing to follow wherever He takes us. Some of you young people sitting here this morning could go to the far ends of the earth and become missionaries. Heck, even some of you older people could do the same. But are we willing to give up everything to follow Christ? Are we willing to give up the comforts that we have and follow Him? That young missionary going to that remote island a few weeks ago had no idea that he would be killed by those people. He had no idea that his life was coming to an end. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will indeed last. But as we've seen, and I've encouraged you to pray to God and pray for one another and pray for the young and the old, then secondly, this morning, and to finish, I want us to see Christ. I want us to be encouraged from this chapter that Christ is our everything. Christ is the stone, and He set up a kingdom where He now reigns. It's not a political one, thank goodness. He clearly states that in John 18, that His kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is with you here this morning. All over the world today, men and women, boys and girls will go to church. And Lord willing, they'll go with Christ in their heart. And they'll come to worship that great king. The king who has made a new nation of all tribes. He's broken down barriers between Jews and Greeks. He's broken down slaves and free men, barbarians and Greeks, between Protestants and Catholics, between British men and Americans, even though you did dump our tea in the river. I still love you. You can today go to a map and see God's kingdom. Look at the whole map. It's all God's. He rules in the hearts and the minds of those who have been brought to union with Him. Christ established His kingdom with the authority of God of heaven in Daniel 2.44. It didn't start up until the time of the Romans, as was predicted. And it will never pass away, as His Word tells us. He Himself is the Mighty One. The citizens, that's us, should never fear if we have true faith in Him that we are going to be stolen away because His kingdom, as it were, will fall away. Because it won't. Nothing shall prevent its spreading. Not one single thing. Not the Muslims who kill Christians. Not the government who want to take freedom of speech. Nothing can take away from God's plan. Brothers and sisters, today that should give us great hope. It should give us great courage about how great a God we come to worship. That mountain will fill the whole earth. 
This doesn't mean that everyone will come to faith in Christ. But it does mean that there will be people of every tribe and tongue and people and nation in heaven singing praise to worthy as the Lamb that was slain. Christ's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The day is coming when He will pull down everything. And we will hear those words, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come, Lord Jesus, come. No doubt the Lord's remnant will be a small one if you take the whole population. But this chapter here and chapter 1 reminds us and gives us hope that that remnant will grow and it will remain and it will be steadfast. And we have an obligation to go forth and herald God's word. We should be people who spread the gospel. How marvelous it is to be called his children. If you are found in Christ this morning, you are a child of God. He is your heavenly father. But how awful it is that some this morning here have no time for him. He said he couldn't care less. Some of you this morning have no hope. You don't have peace. If truth be told, death scares the life out of you. Why? Because you have not come to saving faith in Christ. I said that phrase, only one life will soon be passed. Two weeks ago, not that far from here, normal people were going about their normal lives doing normal things. The fire come. I read of a story of a lady who, was, who had just given birth via C-section, which my wife had. That story scared the wits out of me. Thankfully, she got out, her and the baby. But there were many who did not make it. They had no time to repent and to think of Christ. Some people in their minds put things off. I'll do it next week. I'll do it the week after. I'll do it when I remember. Those people had no time for anything. Here one moment, gone the next. Life is a vapor. I can't stress enough that the things that we preach each and every week, they don't come easy to us looking people straight in the eyes and telling them that if they don't repent of their sins that they're going to hell is a hard thing. It's a fearful thing. But it's a thing that we must be faithful in. Christ came to this earth over 2,000 years ago not so that you could put up a tree or have presents or eat large meals. He came to save sinners like you and like me. He lived that sinless life that we can't. He went to that cross knowing that the very wrath of his Father would fall upon him for sinners like you and like me. He bore those stripes for you. His hands and his feet were nailed for you. The spitting in his face was for you. As those Roman soldiers plopped that cross into the ground and his body was in anguish, that was for you. But the worst blow came from his own father. 
and that too was for you. The one who conquered death as he rose from that grave victorious is the only one who can give you eternal life, no one else. But you need to turn to him and trust in him. You need to give your life to him. Will you do that? What hinders you? I can't save you from your sins. Pastor Jeff can't. Pastor Eric can't. No one in this room can save you from your sins. Only Christ. You young people, you won't get to heaven by being good. You won't get there either by your parents. You don't piggyback your way into heaven. When you stand before that judgment seat, it's you. So what hinders you? Remember, you have only one life. One life. That little dash on that headboard, that's it. As they put you in the coffin, as they lower you into the ground, that's it. One life, and it's soon over. And only what's done for Christ will last, because Christ will return and consume everything. But we will be with him. We will be singing praises to our great God if we're found in faith in him. Believer, Daniel 2 should have us on our knees. It should have us looking to Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Be encouraged. Fight the good fight. Encourage one another. And believe God for who God is. He is magnificent. Let's pray to him. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for the encouragement that Daniel chapter 2 is to us. We do pray that in these days we would be more of a praying people. That we would be on our knees more than we are on, everything, on anything else. That the things of this world would not warp our minds or take away our thoughts. But that we would be thinking all upon you. That we would live our lives, a life that is pleasing to you, that is God-honoring, that is faithful to you. We do thank you so much for this congregation here at Veritas. We do praise you, God, for bringing these people even into my life. And we do pray that you would encourage their hearts this day. Be with each and every member. Be with them as they struggle through life, as, as trials come upon them. Help them to remember that you indeed are their rock and you are the fountain of life. Dear Lord, encourage our hearts. Help us as we go about our day. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.